Welcome to the Truth and Democracy Coalition podcast today. So good to have everyone joining with us. We're going to give a little bit of time to allow others to join in, but everyone gets settled in. We're going to have a really good show today and some good discussions. Hello, hello, everyone, and all of you who are on the via audio. I'm so glad to have you today. Uh, today's discussion is all about um, the architecture of democracy and the Supreme Court today and the decisions that uh, have been made in the Supreme Court as of late. What is going on in the state of our democracy today, uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed? So past, present, and future. So super exciting to discuss this with you all today. And uh, we do want to let you know that we had a special guest, uh, was a former um, uh, a woman who ran for Congress in 2018. Her name is Laura Robinson Oatman, a great figure in the Orange County area. Unfortunately, because we did have to change the date from October uh, 16th, uh, it was a 16th, I believe, or uh, yes, uh-huh, to uh, today, uh, timing, she couldn't make squeeze that timing there. So uh, you're going to have today your special, wonderful discussion of guests with Richard Prasita, who has prepared something very thoughtful for you on the subject, and myself, as well as you. We want to really engage with you today. We want to engage with your thoughts on what's happening in the Supreme Court. And also, before we get started, we want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who are always here every time we have our podcast. Thank you for supporting the Truth and Democracy Coalition. This is very important to us. We've had over 100 signups uh, for this particular uh, podcast today. And we want to say that we couldn't do this without your support. And certainly both myself as well as Richard and everyone involved is so grateful. And as a result, we are definitely moving forward full steam ahead and developing a lot more programming, events, and opportunities for us all to engage in democracy in an actionable way that actually produces good fruitage. So um, again, the Supreme Court, what is happening today? Where are we headed? Uh, so what we're going to do first is we're going to have Richard Prasita, um, your uh, your producer, your main guy, your amazing soul here, speak on the separation of powers, our current situation, and what we're going to do. Okay, so tuck in, enjoy the conversation. Richard is going to have a few moments, and Richard, I'm going to let you take it right away. Enjoy, everyone. Thank you, Dom. Thank you very much for for introducing us and for being supportive of us and for being here. And I thank you everyone for being here. Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about what the separation of powers is, um, how, and then I'm gonna go into how we got here with the Supreme Court being unbalanced and making these rulings that are not supportive or not representative of the people. And, and what we are to do about it now, or what we can do about it, what we should do about it. And part of that is what the Truth and Democracy Coalition is doing about it and has done about it. I want to share with you some of our victories. And then I want to talk about briefly the future events that, that we're planning in the near future. 
So to start with, I want to talk about the separation of power. And the first thing I want to do actually is bring up a slide here. And let me see. It may take me a little while to figure this out here. What the separation of powers means is that we're trying to prevent a dictatorship, a tyrannical government, a king. So we separated the powers of government. In other words, the power of government is not going to be in the hands of one person or one group of people. So we're going to set it up so that both the courts, the legislature, and the executive share power and actually do what's called checks and balances. And we'll go over that next to check the power so that we prevent an authoritarian government from being established in the United States. So if we look at what we're talking here, the judicial interprets the law, resolves legal disputes between private parties between and the government and between different branches of government. It strikes down laws that are unconstitutional. Um, the chief justice presides over impeachment, strikes down unconstitutional executive orders and executive enforcements and also um, unconstitutional laws. Now, the legislative branch um, creates federal laws, appropriates money, approves treaties, declares war. Um, it impeaches and removes judges. It adds and removes courts or changes their jurisdiction. It passes legislation that overrides courts' decisions and um, and that do not involve constitutional issues, it says here, proposes amendments to the Constitution, and it, it checks the executive. It um, impeaches the president. It decides whether to remove the president. It can reject executive and judicial nominees by the president or treaties proposed by the president. It can refuse to appropriate funds for presidential priorities. House and Senate can override a presidential veto, and then the executive executes the law. He can veto bills, cause Congress into special sessions. The vice president breaks ties. Nomin no they nominate federal and Supreme Court judges. They grant pardons and clemency. And here's sort of a diagram of that in which we can see this played out in, in a diagram. And there are plenty of diagrams out there for this. So, yeah, this is something that's interesting. We can look at this diagram wow. of mm -hmm. the checks and balances, you know, makes laws. So if, if the president can do something, but Congress would say, we're not giving you the money, <laughs> you know, the president, mm -hmm. the Congress can make a law, but the president can say, ah, I'm going to veto that. So, right. So the main thing about the checks and balances is to prevent a tyrannical government from taking control, to maintain our democracy. Now, the problem becomes, and I'm going to stop sharing now, is when those three um, branches of government don't do their job or do their job ineffectively. So, um, so we have a system of checks and balances, and it has worked, but if we get the... Republican president, a Republican Congress, and now we have this unbalanced right-wing conservative court, we have lost the system of checks and balances. It doesn't actually work as effectively. So, um, and also this idea that, just to inform you, 
yes, the um, Congress makes the laws or legislatures make the law, the executive implements or enforces the law and the Supreme Court interprets the law, but each of these bodies actually make law. So the Supreme Court makes law when it issues decisions. We see that in Dobbs, we see that in Citizens United. The executive make law makes law when it creates regulations. Mm-hmm. And, and those become, in effect, there, are, there need to be regulations in order to implement the laws that Congress passed. So, um, so it's not completely true that the three branches don't make, they all make law in one way or another. So the question now is how did we get here? And how we got here, it's a long history. I can go over a lot of things, but basically it's people gaming the system. We've had our politicians and um, Congress game the system so that they don't have to comply to undermine our system of checks and balances. So it's not just the Republicans. Okay, the first problem was superdelegates. And this is where I'm going to start. I can go back further and may go back further, but let's start with 2016 and the Trump-Clinton election and see how the misuse of superdelegates led to the loss to Donald Trump. In other words, we did not have an election. Superdelegates, in case you don't know, are party leaders whose vote counts for thousands of tens of thousands of people. It's an anti-democratic process in, a, in the Democratic Party. It began, well, it began a long time ago, but it really picked up steam with the McGovern-Nixon election in which the Democrats felt that the liberals had really undermined their ability to win the White House. So they established all these superdelegates to make sure that the wisdom of the party leaders would have an influence on the decision of who to nominate for president. But Clinton was able to assemble all these superdelegates before the election even started and get them all on her side, thereby eliminating most of the competition. And the only competition came up was one guy. He wasn't a Democrat. He was an independent. He had to change parties to do it. And he represented the progressive side. And the other candidates in that election were conservative and weak. We did, And what that did was allow the Republican propagandist to attack her relentlessly and set the country against her. So mm-hmm. that led, and I don't want, I'm not going to get into Comey because Comey made a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> but that led to Trump being elected. Mm. And then we have Obama's failure to fight for Merrick Garland to be on the Supreme Court. If we had been able to get Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. we would have a 5 4 Republican majority. But, That's true. Mm-hmm. Right. But we would have a more balanced court. That's a balanced court. We have nine people and there's always going to be one on one side or the other. But now because McConnell was able to not do his job and Obama didn't take it to the Supreme Court and Mm -hmm. not that the Supreme Court would have done a check on McConnell and the Republicans and tell them they have to at least take 
take a vote. They have mm-hmm. to at least take a stand. They can't just not refuse to consider the president's nominees. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they didn't do that, it would be on the Supreme Court. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be on us. But Excellent, what Richard. That's right. a really good assessment that you're sharing with us about what happened with Merrick Garland not being appointed to the Supreme Court at the time that he could have by Obama. That really caused a huge landslide in terms of basically rigging the Supreme Court to be so unbalanced as it is today. Okay. Yes. And so, um, and what I call this is, this is liberal hubris. The idea that somehow Trump was going to lose and we didn't have to worry about this nominee for the Supreme Court because Clinton was going to win. And that brings me to something that I think Dom is going to talk more about. And we don't always we're all individuals here. We all have our own points of view. But it brings me to the issue with the false propaganda, tons of it, but specifically related to the conservative church, that the that when the Republicans got into the conservative church and activated the church for their cause, the progressives made a mistake. Rather than activating the liberal church, they created a system in which um, it church was supposed to be about personal things, not political things. We didn't activate the church to fight for justice and to get the church and to see that religious people have a role to play. But instead, we went anti. We, we tried to make religion about the personal and not about the political. And that just forces people back into this personal salvation narrative, into this conservative, um, apolitical church. And what we really need are to have, to emphasize, we fail to get the values of religion, loving your neighbor, care, loving your enemy, lifting up the lowly, bringing down the powerful, treating the foreigner as one native born, um, mm-hmm. These are all spiritual and religious values that we need to be taken to the polls. We need these people, and this energizes us. Um, So we've become a sort of almost an anti-religious in many ways, but we've created very negative attitudes towards Christianity and religious people in politics. And so we've basically handed the church and the definition of Christianity over to the right. Now, this has all led to an unbalanced Supreme Court, and that's our biggest problem. So what can we do? We have to make a distinction between long-term and short-term strategies. Um, Things like abolishing the Electoral College, anything that involves amending the Constitution. Those are long-term strategies. They may never happen. They're not going to happen soon. And but they may employ people for a lot of a long time. And I think these activities, overturning Citizens United, all these things are important activities. But to, to have a, a balanced approach, we need more um, short-term focused activities too. And, and so that we can get some solutions. The Electoral Count Act goes a long way because we need results and we need results soon, not years from now or maybe years from now. Um, So, um, but what I want to do now is I want to stop and ask you a question that they asked me in law school. And that question is, what are judges? 
what are justices? And if anybody has an answer to that, I'd like you to put it in the chat and uh, see what is a judge? What is a justice? And if nobody has an answer, a response, I'll go ahead. If you want to raise your hand. But Please do. Yes. Raise your hand. Yeah. Richard, that's a great question. Anyone wants to answer that, even from your perspective, we'd love to hear you. Yes. Uh, Denise, go right on ahead. I would say they're enforcers of the law. Okay. Very good. Very good. Mm -hmm. Any others want to contribute a point there? What are judges? I think they're looking for you to give us the fill, the fill in, Richard. Go for it. Okay, so judges and Denise is right. Oh, here we go, Wayne. Go ahead. Oh yes. Do your two cents, Wayne. Um, judges are supposed to be people that take in all of the facts that are presented and unbiasedly making a judgment on. However, that is impossible because they will always be biased either by their um, by what happened that day when they from when they woke up to just everyday life. So the, to say un, totally unbiased is an impossible uh, thing. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Wayne. All these are all good answers. But what the um, judge, what in law school, the professor said, judges are human beings. Mm, yeah. Nice. That's what judges are. And, and Wayne gets to that a little bit. That, yeah. that they can be influenced, but you always got to remember that that's a human person doing that job and you can appeal to that person. And that's why I think standing up and letting the courts know that they are out of step with America, that they are wrong and that mm -hmm. the American people reject them and don't respect this court. Those will have an impact on those justices and mm -hmm. they... You know, and so we need to not only do that, but the we need to be active in pursuing our causes. All these activities you're all doing are very important to bring to the attention of the nation um, that we are a liberal democracy and that's what we're going to stay just to bring these issues to the attention of the court. And then the most and obviously most important thing is vote vote that's our power that's our check yes on vote. power so we need to to really get active vote and so everything and that i know all of you are doing is all working towards this end i just want to make sure that we don't undermine ourselves in different ways so what is the truth and democracy coalition doing well well, one thing, and we'll talk about that later, we're starting a 501c3, so we're really just getting off the ground. Yeah, and, and then another thing is, I believe that it's the division that is driving the assault on democracy. It's a divide and conquer strategy. So that's what's happening. So there's a, there's a saying in poker that goes, if you're at the table and you don't know who the weakest player is, the fish is at the table, if you don't know... Um, who everybody is trying to win their money from, you're it, right? If we can't identify the foreign propaganda that is being disseminated on the left, 
because we know it's happening. The government, the law enforcement has told us that Putin and China and other countries are disseminating propaganda to both sides. If we then identify it, we're under its influence. So, and when I say, so there's propaganda on all sides. And I don't know if you've been to my programs before, you understand propaganda is any material disseminated to the public, to the masses, to affect their attitudes and beliefs and behaviors. So we have propaganda, that's not a question, um, broadly defined, but we also have false propaganda. It's not the same, it's not equal, it's very different, but still, we have what I've identified as pro-Putin, because think about Putin's propaganda. I have a rule. If from Tucker Carlson to Cornell West, if it helps Vladimir Putin, put it to the test. Vladimir Putin's propaganda is obviously pro-Putin, anti-American, anti-Western world, anti-liberal, anti-democracy. So if we, so basically we have some problems in that area because first of all, we have a lot of shenanigans, of course, you know, cult-like activities, hidden agendas, profiteering, um, and everyone uses hatred. You know, we think, oh, we're not using hatred. Everyone uses hatred. Hatred is the easiest emotion to organize around. Everyone uses it. So we at the Truth and Democracy Coalition well, are trying to organize around love. Yes. It's the hardest thing to organize around, to organize. It's easy to organize around hate. It's difficult to organize around love. So um, let's see here. So we have been opposing extremism and providing a place for people to have open discussion, to discuss their views without being told they're not a real progressive or they're racist or they're not a true Democrat or they're a Republican in name only, a rhino. We, we have, an, play, have provided an opportunity for people to come to better and hash it out, talk about their views in a positive way. So we've been confronting Disinformation. Right now, um, for existence, for example, we have a lot of this propaganda about blaming America for what's happening in Ukraine. And mm -hmm. we're really fighting for democracy and freedom and human rights in Ukraine. I want to show you another. And while you're pulling that up, Richard, it's really awesome, you know, that we're discussing this because propaganda is a big problem. It is kind of infecting the minds of so many people into believing things that simply are not true. And it's so important, everyone who is here uh, that is listening right now, everyone on this on this uh, wonderful uh, podcast together to understand the effects of pot, uh, propaganda, to notice and know what it is and how to be, stay away from that. Please, Richard. Okay, so take a look at this map. This is the in the green, and um, it looks like in most of the green are democracies. The darker greens are full democracies. 
the lighter greens are flawed democracies. We can see the United States is now a flawed democracy. It was a full democracy. We have moved down to 26th in the nation. And then the yellow are hybrid regimes and the orange are authoritarian regimes. People, this is the conflict. This is it right here. This is the conflict. It's not socialism and capitalism. It's authoritarian first democracy. And think about it. If you're a Marxist, if you're a socialist, America has to be the great Satan. It has to be the great evil because it's the leader of the capitalist world. It's the largest capitalist nation in the world. You cannot have a view, if you're a socialist or Marxist, that sees America as the leader of the free world. But yet, here we are. So this is, this is um, blaming the United States for Russia's attack on Ukraine. This is current propaganda that's being spread on the left. So we as a nation are not indelibly stained. You know, when we say that our constitution was created by slavers for slavers, we are outside of the liberal middle America. We are not in line with liberal America. And what we need to do, what, we, what has happened is that we've lost the liberal middle. We've yes. lost liberalism and we've lost the liberal middle. And that means supporting the Constitution, believing in the Constitution, defending the Constitution, standing up for civil rights, standing up for human rights. Those are liberal traditions. The Constitution is a liberal document. Our mm -hmm. democracy is a liberal democracy, mm -hmm. which means we are open to different points of views, of course. But, yes. but this is where we've been inundated with anti-liberal propaganda that calls it neoliberalism or, and wants everything to be consistent with socialist ideology, which I don't have anything against socialism per se. I just don't think, I just think a democracy is, is the main issue. So um, some of our victories have been, there's one where there was an attempt to try to um, change the word democracy and sort of ban it from the left and to use the word voting rights. Instead, imagine if mm. we had banned the word democracy, what mm. type of horrible situation would be in. Handing the word democracy to the right would have been a huge mistake. We defeated that propagandist and we won that struggle. Beautiful. Um, so we fought for impeachment when impeachment wasn't popular. I mean, there, you remember, Trump is just a symptom. Trump is not just a symptom. Trump is a propagandist. He is a cause. We fought for impeachment. We are allied with some groups that were fighting for impeachment. And even when it wasn't popular, we were still out there fighting for it. And we won. We won that debate. Mm -hmm. um, we have proposed, rather than saying we're going to switch the issue from January 6th, and that uh, we have advocated to keep January 6th front and center, front and center. And that's what we've been doing. And yeah. we have won on that issue. So what we're trying to do here is rebuild the middle because it's, like I said, we are losing that middle. 
And that's what's driving the assault on democracy. Once they divide us, they can conquer us. Yeah. So we need to rebuild a liberal middle, start to promote liberal ideas and liberalism as because that's what our constitution is. That's what our country is. And that's how it's been founded. Excellent. So what, what we're doing on next Friday, we're having a Jan 6th uh, justice, our freedoms, our vote rally at Whittier City Hall at around six o'clock. It's going to be kind of a social atmosphere of rally and speak out and where we're going to be um, organizing together and speaking about the importance of remembering uh, what happened on January 6th and the attempt to overthrow our democracy. And I'm also doing that the next Sunday. I think it's something like the 23rd, I think it is. Or the, no, it's the 22nd, Saturday, in West Los Angeles. I'm co-hosting another Jan 6 Justice, Our Freedoms, Our Vote event at the federal building on Wilshire near the 405 freeway. And then on the 16th, Dom is doing a jam session in Fountain Valley at Miles Square Park. And I'm going to let her talk about that. And, and our next program, next month, we will be meeting earlier on, I believe that would be, what, the fourth, the third? It's the first Sunday of the month before we vote. She's going to talk about the importance of voting. So thank you very much. I'm going to hand it over to Dom right now. Thank you, Dom. Thank you, Richard. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening.